Hi, I'm Brett Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. If you're a business consultant who specializes in managing crises, there's no better client to have than the Canadian vaping industry, which in just the past few years has been pummeled by the so-called epidemic of teen vaping, the so-called vaping-related lung illness, and of course, the coronavirus. Whether it's COVID lockdowns, flavor bans, or nicotine caps, the industry is under withering assault, but yet it perseveres. However, 2021 could be the most challenging year yet. Joining us today on RegWatch to talk about those challenges is Robin Gagnier, District Manager of Vape Nation, an Ontario-based vaping products retail chain. Robin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brent. 2021 poses an existential crisis for the vaping industry as Health Canada is considering a nationwide nicotine cap, and now this is a big one, a nationwide flavor ban. Robin, what do you make of that? Uh, well, a, a 20 milligram nicotine cap is, is definitely one one thing, uh, but a uh, flavor ban is a whole other problem. And why is that? Uh, a 20 milligram nicotine cap is survivable. Um, there's there's ways around that, that that we as retailers can find and, and choose to use. However, a uh, flavor ban would, would essentially eradicate uh, any vape retailer that essentially would specialize in, in so look, we're going to dive into these big regulatory moves in a moment, but first Ontario has just come out from under a COVID lockdown just this week. Tell us how has COVID affected your stores and vaping overall in the province of Ontario? Um, so yeah, in the last lockdown, we saw a pretty major, major dip in, in sales. A lot of that was probably linked directly to um, people kind of not being ready for this. Um, and, and so we, we definitely saw some major drops, I think something around 30 to 40%, um, which was uh, pretty shocking at the time. Uh, this time around, this last lockdown that has uh, just finally finished here was a little different. I think uh, I think a lot of people are, are, were used to it. They, knew, they kind of already knew um, what we as retailers were, were going to be offering for them to, to still be able to get uh, supplies that they need, uh, which was, which was uh, very welcoming, right? It, it was nice to see that uh, even through lockdowns, we could keep business afloat and keep people happy. Now, during you know lockdown one and lockdown two, was there a difference in terms of no, losing customers from vaping back to smoking? I, I think yes, absolutely, because there was so much uncertainty at the time that uh, that so many people kind of almost assumed that we might have closed and that, that they, they wouldn't be able to get their, their vaping equipment. Um, and, and so, yeah, I do think that in that first lockdown, with us not being deemed an essential service, um, that, that really got the people's head. And I would assume, yeah, probably lost a lot of customers. How much of a psychological hit then was it not getting the essential service status? Uh, I mean, it's something that I think I, I can speak for all retailers. We, we, we were waiting for that, right? Like, I don't think we were expecting to be, to be considered essential. Um, so, I mean, on a personal level, I, I was not shocked at all. I was kind of waiting for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think there was much shock for sure. But yet, though, you know, famously in Canada, you know, cannabis is legal. And of course, alcohol is legal. Were they deemed as essential service? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> Hypocrisy knows no bounds sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think that would be the best way to put it. So do you think the there was a balance struck then with regard to COVID and how it was handled in terms of the economy and the employment and so forth. Uh, 
Yeah, I think uh, I think everything that the Canadian government has done so far is about balance, you know, between yeah, keeping people employed and keeping the, the case numbers down as much as possible. Um, it, it's it's you know, it's a tough balance. You know, I, I, I look back at Australia and they did something like four months of lockdown and, and achieved great success at get, getting rid of the virus. But uh, they, they lost something like a million jobs like permanent. Where here, uh, I, at, at our worst, I think there was something like two million jobs that were temporarily lost. Um, so, yeah, it's all about balance for sure. So, in your opinion and professional experience, I guess best to say, what did more damage, COVID or the so-called vaping-related lung illness, aka Evali? Evali, no doubt. How was that? Um. I, well, I mean, a valley was obviously so much more centered around vaping um, and, and the, the fear mongering that, that came along with that. Uh, yeah, it, it was just directed at anyone, any person who had ever touched an e-cigarette before. And uh, and I got to people's heads, you know, just just before coming on the show here, I uh, I, I kind of look back to see like the difference between our, our first lockdown drop and then our uh, the Avali fiasco and the, the drop that we saw in there and uh it, it was massive it was just a massive drop that we didn't recuperate from until months later um with with i hope proper uh education on our part um so yeah it, it's it's definitely got the people's heads a lot more uh and and again yeah i mean i get it, it at the time uh the media was very very much on top of, of pointing to the vaping industry as uh, the culprit. So you blame Evali on the media? Um, I, I mean it's it's a it's a combination of uh, of 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 the we'll say studies that that they were doing and the evidence again uh, in quotation marks that they were uh, that they were pushing out at the time. Are you skeptical then of evidence based decision making going on with regards to vaping? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the evidence, they, even down to how they studied e-cigarettes, like, you know, if you really do your research on this, they, they, they almost tamper just enough with how they're studying these things to make sure that the results are going to be what they want. So what was it essentially about the uh, so-called vaping-related lung illness scare? What was it about the scare, do you think, that hurt business so badly? It flipped everything on the head, right? The whole narrative went from vaping is, you know, most likely, almost definitely, which I would say definitely, personally, I understand point, better for you than smoking, to all of a sudden, hey, take 10 puffs off this e-cigarette and you're going to die. So for the people who left vaping over Evali, mm -hmm. did they return to yeah. smoking? I, yeah, I would say a good, like, 90% of them, right? That, that's kind of what I was saying. Like, I'm hoping that, you know, for whomever did end up at the time decide that this is just too dangerous for them, uh, that they just maybe quit cold turkey, didn't go back to smoking uh, traditional analog cigarettes and, and all of that. But I would assume that, yeah, I mean, as, as a nicotine addict myself, I can tell you that, you know, yeah, I'd probably be thinking the same if I wasn't uh, fully involved in the industry. What I'm trying to get at here is a sense of whether or not were these, you know, new vapors that you know were a bit squishy in terms of their understanding about vaping or do you think some longtime vapors may actually got the scare over evali and returned 
It's a hundred percent all the new ones. Um, you know, the, the seasoned veterans of, of vaping, uh, they've been around for long enough to know that uh, the health risks, as far as we see, are very minimal. Um, and, and again, from, from that personal use of the product, right? like it, it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. And, it, you know, all you had to do, again, was a quick Google search to kind of understand, uh, you know, how quickly these cases were forming, how they were all centered into the U.S. It's not like they were, it was a worldwide epidemic. Again, I love my quotation marks. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, the seasoned vapors knew better. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely the, you know, the people, especially the people who were kind of just there, they don't care to, to know how the product works. They're just smoking. Those, those people definitely. So a valley came right after the so-called epidemic of teen vaping, uh, which was hysterical too as well. And it's still, the industry is still suffering from that. And let me just point out to everyone that yes, there was definitely an increase in youth use of vaping products, but what the government is not, and the media is certainly not showing or heralding, is that over the course of the last year, there's been a significant drop um, in Canada, but yet still, the industry is facing now a potential nationwide flavor ban, and and definitely it looks like there'll be a nicotine cap. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, like from, without uh, being able to, to confirm it, it does sound like the 20 milligram nicotine cap. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it really is too bad that, uh, that they're not looking at the evidence here and seeing that, uh, that there's, there's been a drop in, in these uh, underage cases of people uh, vaping, right? And I mean, it, I, it, from a certain standpoint of view, the, the nicotine cap is, uh, I wouldn't say it makes sense because there's so much wrong with it. But from their point of view, from an uneducated point of view, I can understand trying to accomplish here. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the damage that it'll cause is that definitely outweighs the good on. When Health Canada put out Gazette One here regarding the nicotine cap and set out sort of the guidelines and the rationale for it, one of the things that they brought up was that nearly 23,000 postcards from people who vape were opposed to additional measures and reported either quitting smoking with vaping or attempting to quit uh, smoking with vaping. But the key thing here is that it seems that vapors themselves in this postcard campaign that happened back in 2019 reported that um, zero, three, and six milligrams per milliliter were the most popular, and that and that kind of you know provided some ammunition for Health Canada to look at going well. The 50 milligrams is way too high, you know, and to bring it down, the vaping industry themselves, vapors themselves, have told us that they don't need that much nicotine based right. on your sales. And, and obviously you're in Ontario, you've got a number of stores is not the higher nicotine more popular. Um, yes, absolutely. Here's my guess as to what kind of probably happened there. Um, first of all, nicotine salts was not as big on the market at the time. I, I think it was pretty much in its baby stage, at least for us in Canada. Uh, so a lot of people weren't even, you know, quite evolving into that. Uh, and there was absolutely a time when, yeah, like three sixes and even zeros were more popular than anything higher. Um, but that that the answer to that was just that anything higher in, in free based nicotine is totally not palatable. Um, so I think the timing has a lot to do with that. The other thing I would say probably has a lot to do with that is the people who would have involved themselves in this at the time 
um, would have most likely been people who have been uh, part of the industry uh, for for you know quite some time. Where anybody else who might have been at the time again starting kind of to use nicotine salts was most likely a new user. Uh, so they probably just didn't have that you know heart to even bother and try uh, to involve themselves in it as much. So why is it then, Robin? Are the nicotine salts in a higher nick? Why are they more appealing to a first-time vapor, to somebody just coming off of smoking? Salt nicotine at a higher concentration um, is is definitely more successful for people. Uh, I also think that, again, like if you look at the math, the science of things, I, I don't think it's 100% accurate, but I think there's something around like the average cigarette has like 8 milligrams of nicotine. Um, per per cigarette, I, I don't quote me on that. I think it's anywhere from you know probably five to fifteen or something, depending on the brand. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think the the average cigarette is about eight milligrams of nicotine. And if if you were looking back at how people vaped back in the day with a three or a six, how many puffs they were going through, and kind of calculating how much nicotine intake, like I, I did it on a daily sort of thing. Um, how much how much nicotine intake they were taking in daily? It was a major drop, like a major drop of of, of nicotine intake. You're not going from, you know, if you were just just looking at cigarettes, for example, you're not going from like a pack a day to twenty cigarettes a day now. Like going from smoking to vaping at the time was like going from a pack a day to five cigarettes a day, and you were puffing on this thing just as much as before. Um, and and salt, and so it's clear that. With a three or a six or a twelve, you're just you're just not achieving the same level of nicotine that you are with one single thing at all. Um, where uh, with with the salt nicotine, you're definitely getting closer. And here's where it gets even more interesting: is that even at the highest concentration with salt nicotine, you're still getting less nicotine than you would have as a as a pack smoker per pot, right? If you're if you were to calculate it per pot. One of the things that that I wish they would definitely do is exactly that: really study. Uh, the, the amount of uh, per puff uh, in, in nicotine intake that you would be getting uh, from smoking versus vaping and, and vaping at different strengths, different devices, things like that. You should definitely be looking at it because, uh, you know, the science is so inconclusive overall. I mean, it, heat has a lot to do with the activation of nicotine, right? Like it's, it's I think the higher the heat up to probably a certain uh, point, the more the nicotine is activated. Uh, again, I'm no scientist, but, but I do know that heat will have... Uh, some effect on that and so with with uh with cigarettes right away i mean they're obviously cooking they're going much 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 higher in heat uh and and i i would assume that that probably also has a lot to do with how uh, how much nicotine intake we've heard often uh from some in the industry uh they've alluded to the fact that there are technological innovations or other ways in which you can set up your kit to uh, get a you know higher dosage of nicotine out of the twenty milligrams per milliliter. In our pre-interview, you mentioned to me actually what that solution is, what specifically it is that you can do. And for those vapors out there that might be fearing uh, this nicotine cap, what is it that they can do? The solution is very simple. If most of what these people out of fifty are using, which I would assume, because again, when when I sell it to my customers, they're generally using something like a Caliburn or they're using a Stealth pod device um and uh and and those are very low wattage devices to getting out like i said five to fifty um and at a 50 milligram that's super palatable it's super doable now if i were to put a 50 milligram 
e-juice in a 40 watt device, however, uh, at 40 watts, that would be probably a whole lot less palatable. It'd be very harsh. It'd be pretty hard to debate. Uh, there is actually some people who do need to do that. Some of the heaviest smokers out there uh, do vape like that. I, I say I don't recommend it, but you know, if that's the only thing that's going to work for you, they do that. So, anyways, uh, if if you were to take a 20 milligram and vape it at 40 or 50 or 60 watts, you're you're going to see that the nicotine intake again per puff is going to be probably relatively similar to that 50 milligram. Uh, puff you were getting, but on your small caliber and drool that's vaping at 10 watts. So you said, Robin, that the industry can survive this nicotine cap, but it would not be able to survive a flavor ban. Why is that? Well, I mean, the the fla- flavor ban is pretty simple uh, in, in terms of, of the, the damage it's going to cause. It, what, what makes us retailers, I, I, I think... Seeing the industry as a whole is probably not the right way to say this. It's really the the, the frontline retailers like ourselves at Vape Nation that that uh, that would survive. Vaping is is here to stay. I think the the, the evidence is there for that. Even tobacco or mint uh, options are there and sell very well. Um, so I don't think that uh, the industry would completely fold. But the independent retailers that we have in Canada here, I I don't see many of them if any of them surviving um we have that advantage of of being being retailers that we we can carry a lot of these products we're we're getting we're getting tons of people who are coming directly to us um because you know when they walk into to our stores they're seeing 300 labels so it gives them a ton of options and especially at the beginning uh having those options is crucial it's just crucial and to find the right flavor and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's, at the end of the day, what, what would really happen is that because you would be taking the flavors away from, from the industry, uh, there, there would really be no need for a, a vape shop experience anymore because what will happen is you, you're left with tobacco, mint, or flavorless options, which, I mean, none of them differ from each other all that much, right? Like a mint, most mints, if you like mints, you're probably going to like this mint, this mint, this mint, that mint, whatever. You'll probably like most of those mints. There's going to be very little of them that, that you're going to dislike. Same thing goes for tobacco. And I mean, flavorless, obviously it's flavorless. You can't put that one out. Uh, where fruits differ um, is where, you know, there's so many of them. Uh, there's so many different flavors. There's so many different sort of palettes out there who are going to experience those flavors. Um, and, and for a lot of people, I think it's like you know, 30 to 50% of people, that's even more. That's the only way they're getting off. They don't want the, the tobacco. They don't like it. They want fruity flavors. That's what they're looking for. And, uh, and the idea there, I, for myself even, is pretty simple. It's not even about the fact that they think they'll enjoy it more that way. It's about the fact that if they're on tobacco only, um, they're, they're going to end up uh, thinking that it's just too much like a cigarette and, and not having a cigarette. And so they find that, that just kind of veering the opposite direction and, and taking fruit flavors is going to be better for them. Um, but essentially, go, going back to what the question originally was, what's going to happen is it doesn't allow us to be any different than your convenience store. It, it, and, and that's why, so you'll just lose the, the need for, uh, for, for these retailers, right? Where you might not lose the need is, is, you know, the different devices and all that. Like, you know, your, your regular Joe at the convenience store is still not going to be, uh, in, like, properly. 
But my fear is that if you take the flavors away, you're actually also kind of taking those devices away a little bit too. You start to kind of not need special devices that might be better with flavor that might, you know, show accents of certain flavors better than others. And, and tobacco and mint flavors are just so plain Jane that, it, yeah, it loses a lot of its appeal for sure. Uh, and yeah, it's more than half of, of our customers are using uh, fruit flavors, dessert flavors, mint and fruit flavors. Uh, so uh, yeah, absolutely. The industry would survive, but it would be reduced to convenience stores slowly but surely. So obviously the customers are the ones that are going to be the, you know, affected the most retailers you're serving the customers. So are you, are you able to get the customers to activate, to, to help, you know, speak to health Canada, you know, you know, get their point across or are they an immovable force? Uh, yeah. So just like, uh, just like any cause it's, it's pretty difficult to get people, uh, to, to speak up about there's very few people who are, who are going to do it without incentive, um, which is which is too bad, really, for sure. Um, we we we've done a great job, I think, at at Bait Nation to to try and educate people on some of the issues that are coming up and uh, and to try and get them involved. Um, we we've tried all sorts of different things. Um, I, first was just kind of a a scripted speech. I had my staff uh, say to each customer uh, at checkout and uh, just to try and get them. Get them involved. Get them seeing that this this is a real issue and this will affect their personal life. And so you should you should take a stand here. Uh, but yeah, oftentimes that just didn't work out. So we we've gone as far as offering discounts for for just signing a, a, a postcard to get people involved. Uh, it hasn't been easy for sure. Uh, and again, if there's anything that I would say here, it's that people involve yourself because we we make the difference for sure. We've seen it. We've seen the result of when people speak up. It, it really does have a, a profound effect on, on the government's decision here. Um, so, yeah, it, it's not an easy thing. It's doable. Unfortunately, it does often come with a little incentive uh, for, for the customer to, to really get themselves involved. Well, that's perfect. I mean, if you had an opportunity to sit down with Health Canada, and this is the last question, what would your message be? If I had an opportunity to sit down with Health Canada, what, what would my message be? Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the message would be pretty clear and simple. Do your research. Uh, there's plenty of, of, of uh, professionals who have studied, let's just even look at just smoking by itself. And they don't even include vaping. And they know this is like the worst thing. This is terrible. The, the tobacco is just terrible. I've even heard it like this from, from health professionals before that. The notion that anything could be worse for you than smoking cigarettes is crazy. It's just downright bananas. And so the fact that you are presented an option that is very clearly because, again, the chances of it being worse or equally bad for you are next to none. Why are you, you know, just stalling the, the progress that we're making here? Do your research. Help us do more research. Help us even maybe find ways to uh, increase the health benefits of this product, making it better, making it healthier finding what's wrong with it and maybe working around with it. That's the kind of stuff I would like to see Health Canada do is stand by our side rather than fight with us. Help us see the mistakes that we're making because like any industry, we're making our own mistakes and help us 
correct them rather than make uneducated decisions that will eventually lead to the pretty a pretty major downfall for this this industry.